everybody. Good to have you today. Let's do some theology. You ready to do theology? Theology is the study of God, and life really is theology. We started talking about that last week in this Supernatural series where we said, look, what you believe about God affects your morals, your values. It, it affects not only your beliefs about this life, but the life to come. It gives your life meaning. And it tells you the meaning of life. So if you miss that, you need to go back and watch that on our website or listen to the podcast. And if you're here for the first time, really want to welcome you as well. Welcome to those who are online. Look, I don't know what you believe about God or Jesus or, or anything else for that matter. But uh, you came at a good time to explore beliefs. And your questions are welcome here. You and your questions are are welcome. So what do you believe about God? Because if you're in the majority of Americans, uh, you, you probably think that Jesus is a great man, spiritual leader, but that he's not God. That is now the majority view in this country. A brand new survey put out by Lifeway Research, which is really a, a, a part of it's a, a study done by Ligonier Ministries. It's called their State of, the Theolog State of Theology Study. They put out every couple of years. It revealed that 52% of Americans don't believe that Jesus is God. And yet that is a core belief of Christianity. Uh, in, in a culture that for a long time has been greatly influenced, impacted by Jesus, by the Bible, by, by these Christian beliefs historically, now, that is a minority belief, that Jesus is God. But really what's shocking is how many who claim to be Christian don't believe that Jesus is God. Guess how many of those who are called evangelicals, and those are the ones who are supposed to be taking this whole faith and Bible Jesus thing seriously. Guess how many don't believe that Jesus is God? 30%. 30% of evangelicals don't hold that crucial, basic belief. Houston, we have a problem. The church in America is messed up. It's, it's weak, it's sick, and it is confused. Because if you do not believe that Jesus is God, that he is Lord, then you aren't really a Christian, no matter what you claim. We need some basic theology, folks. And if you think that theology is just something for pastors and scholars to study, you couldn't be more wrong. And I know what I'm going to be teaching might sound like it's coming out of a Bible college classroom. But this is no time to be downplaying doctrine. But if we get into serious theology at church, people aren't going to like it and they're not going to come. Well, what do you want? Do you want a church full of people who are just feeling entertained and told how to be happy and successful, but they don't know who Jesus is? Look, if people don't want to study God, if they don't want to know more about God, then our problem is a lot more serious than we even know. Our core beliefs as a church are outlined in this passage that we've been looking at in Ephesians chapter 4 where the Apostle Paul reminds us of these core beliefs that we have oneness in. I'm going to read it together. In fact, let's, let's everybody read it out loud together. Here we go. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So today, let's talk about our supernatural Lord, our Jesus. God is uniquely Trinity. 
We saw that. Three persons in one being. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not three different gods, and not one God operating in three different modes, but three distinct, equally divine persons in one essence. So here's how we phrase it at South Point. We believe in this one Lord. Jesus is God the Son, fully divine and fully human. He is the sinless Christ, the Messiah sent to be Savior, who died for our sins and rose from the dead, resulting in humanity's salvation and now reigns from heaven as our mediator. Jesus did not leave us the option to believe that he's simply a great man or a good teacher. He's something far more. He, he achieved something far more than any mere man. So we're going to talk about who he is and what he did, his person and his work. And it's summed up in this profound statement or confession of faith when Jesus was asking his disciples who they thought he was and they began repeating the conjectures of others who said that he was a great spiritual leader, he was a prophet of some kind. Peter replied with this answer that Jesus affirms is the correct one and is the one revealed from God. It's in Matthew 16 verses 15 to 18. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This is Peter. For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And he gives them this name. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So Jesus says, really, that confession of faith is the rock on which the church is built. It's the, it's the bedrock. I know some people think that he's talking about Peter, because Peter's name in Greek is Petros, which means a rock, a stone. But when Jesus says, and on this rock I'll build my church, he uses a different Greek word. He uses Petra, not Petros. Petros is a stone. Petra is a huge, massive, underlying bedrock. That's the foundation, that confession he made. Jesus is the Christ. And we need to build our faith and our lives on that bedrock. Big idea for today is that confession. We confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, my Savior and Lord. In fact, if you believe that, would you say that out loud with me together? We confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, my Savior and Lord. Now, if you're not able to confess that yet, what I'm hoping to do is that you'll get to know Jesus better today. Not just be better informed, but that you'll get to know him more personally. The, the two key things that you need to know about Jesus are these. First, he is God's son, and then he is our Savior. So let's look at those. First, Jesus is God's son, and Jesus knew himself to be God's son in a very unique way, and it was testified to by others as well, by prophets and apostles and dis demons and disciples, and more than all the others, by the Father himself, speaking from heaven at both Jesus' baptism and his transfiguration, God said, this is my son. That means Jesus is divine. You know, the Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah 9-6 says that the Messiah would be called Mighty God. In fact, many prophecies were fulfilled in him, which is one of the proofs that he's more than another man. His life did not begin at his conception in the womb. He is the second person, the eternal person, 
The same as the Father and Spirit of this Trinity. His life on earth was just a blink in the span of his eternal existence. Before he came to this earth, he wasn't known as Jesus. He wasn't really even known as the Son of God yet. What we know him as prior to his birth was the Word. In the Greek language, it's the word logos, which is a very meaningful, powerful word, which talks about the idea of he is like the full revelation of God. In fact, in John 1, a key chapter about the divine identity of Jesus, it says, in the beginning, the word already existed. He was with God and he was God. He was in the beginning with God. He created everything there is. And so the word became human and lived here on earth among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son of the Father. Now, not all churches who say they believe in Jesus believe in that passage or believe that he is God. I mean, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Unitarians, none of them believe that he was divine. I might, they think that he might have been some kind of semi-God or that he was some kind of superhuman, but that's really a heretical belief. It's not a biblical belief. And so they might claim to be Christian, but they really aren't because they deny the deity of Jesus. Now, many individuals as well believe that Jesus is not fully divine, or maybe they're confused about it. They believe that he's the first and greatest created being by the Father. In fact, if you go back earlier to that same state of the of theology uh, survey, guess what? 65% of evangelicals would agree with that statement, that he's the first and greatest created being. Folks, two-thirds of Bible-believing Christians are at minimum confused if not downright heretical in their beliefs about this man, Jesus. Now, the man had a beginning in the womb, but the second person of the Trinity, the Word, is the uncreated, eternal God. He did not have a beginning. So Jesus is God, and Jesus is Lord. He's master. He's ruler. He's leader. And we are obligated to do whatever he says. In fact, remember Jesus saying, a new commandment I give to you. Now, who has the right to give commandments? Only God. And he said, you have heard it said, but I say to you, I mean, what's going on with that? Well, he's claiming to be the same God that said things in the Old Testament. Okay. Here's our promise in Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth, what? Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, Jewish people back then who would know their Greek Bible would know that whenever they read the name Lord, that it referred to God. So they would certainly associate Jesus with God. In fact, Jesus had the same names as God. Whenever you see names for God in the Old Testament quoted and applied in the New Testament, they're applied to Jesus. Titles like King of Kings, Redeemer, the first and the last. Applies to both God and Jesus. And Jesus claimed to be God. Now, some will say that Jesus never personally made that outrageous claim. Others said that about him, but it didn't come out of his own mouth. In fact, some who would say, yes, Jesus is God, 
would still say, well, he never came right out and said so. In fact, just this past week, I heard a famous, influential megachurch pastor in America talking about Philippians chapter 2 where it says Jesus who was... um, you know, in the same nature as God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And he he said this, he said, quote, Jesus never played the God card. Jesus never said, okay, by the way, I'm God. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? Are you kidding me? Jesus never claimed to be God? I mean, from Philippians 2, it's true that he didn't cling on to his divine prerogatives and privileges when he came to this earth. He humbled himself under the Father, so the Father was greater than him in his, in his abilities while Jesus was confined and limited in that human body. But even though he limited himself, he didn't lessen himself, he was still equally God, even though he was submitted to, this, to the Father so that he could be his Savior. I mean, my goodness, Jesus made many outrageous claims for a simple peasant carpenter claims that got him crucified. I mean, this pastor who said he never played the God card, I mean, has he never read John 5? Where the people recognized he was even calling God his own father, making himself what? Equal with God. I mean, people back then recognized Jesus was playing the God card. They killed him for it. Jesus claimed to be able to forgive sins. Who can do that? Only God. He accepted worship. From people like Thomas when he said, my Lord and my God. In John 14, out of his own mouth, Jesus says, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him. And you have what? Seen him. Okay? And then one of his disciples, Philip, said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus even makes claim to that personal name that God revealed to Moses. You remember, I am, that's his personal Yahweh, Jehovah name, I am that I am. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And they took it that way. Look at this. I mean, John 10, 30, he says, I and the Father are one. That's what they crucified him for because they viewed that as a claim of blasphemy worthy of death. Jesus made this exclusive claim to deity. So, look, you can't claim that he's just a good teacher because, as it's pointed out, he's either a liar or he's a lunatic or he's Lord. Those are your only three options. But Jesus proved his claims through his amazing miracles, his power over nature, over diseases, over disabilities, over demons, over death. Most of all, through his resurrection. The empty tomb is proof that he's God. Jesus is also divinely conceived. I mean, how do you explain God becoming a man? It's hard to explain, just like the Trinity is difficult to explain. And if you could completely figure it out, he wouldn't be much of a God, right? If you could fill your limited mind with that incredible truth, you you would have God completely figured out. But he's beyond us and above us. He's 100% God and 100% man. 
Not good math, but good theology. It's supernatural. And he, think of this. Three persons in one being, and within one of those persons, two natures, human and divine. Colossians 2 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Wow, the mystery of God becoming man, of spirit taking on flesh, of humbled deity in perfect humanity is beyond our comprehension. But God has revealed how he accomplished it. It was through the virgin birth. You know the Christmas story, how the Holy Spirit implanted in the womb of that Virgin Mary, Jesus as humankind. He was, it's called the incarnation, one of those theological words. It means God becomes man, God with us. It involved only one human parent producing someone who was both fully human and fully divine. He didn't have a human father because if Jesus had two human parents, he couldn't be God in the flesh. So he's not just God, but Jesus is son of man, which is one of his favorite titles for himself because it, it talks about his dual identity. Yes, he's son of man, he's human, but it was more than that. It was a title that if you go back to the Old Testament, in Daniel chapter 7, it's an exalted title of divinity. As you see this son of man standing before the throne of God to receive an eternal kingdom and universal worship. This is a divine person who's going to judge the nations. But he was also son of man, human the son of a woman and adopted son of a father. And because he was human, he could relate to us. He had all the same human emotions and experiences and needs that we all do. He just handled them differently than we do. I mean, after his baptism, which by the way, he didn't need because baptism is for sinners and he wasn't a sinner, but he did that to identify with us. After that baptism, he begins his public ministry. Now, I point that out, that he, he didn't need baptism because, again, if we look at an earlier survey this year by the Barna Group, check this out, 44% of Americans say that because Jesus is God and man, he committed sin. Jesus is a sinner. Only 41% agree with the Bible that he remained sinless. Guys, I've got to tell you, if, if Jesus sinned, he's no savior. He's just another sinner in need of a savior. Hebrews 4 says, we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin, did not give in to that temptation. Think of that, the ones who spent the most time with him, those disciples day and night, testify he was perfect. He never did anything wrong. He, he called those guys together to be with him for those three plus years. He taught them these amazing, profound truths that are still being quoted to today. You could stand in awe of this man, and yet he showed love for everybody. He attracted these large crowds, and yet he was rejected by his own hometown, by most of the clergy. People just didn't get who he was. So it's nothing new today. 
You take the polls back then, you still get those kind of skewed numbers. We don't know who he is. Even his own family didn't understand. His disciples didn't fully understand who he was. They didn't really get it until that day that changed everything. The day that he rose from the dead. And then the light bulb popped on. Now we get it. In fact, we know at least two of his brothers, his half-brothers, became believers and followers and wrote these Bible books in the New Testament, James and Jude. It's amazing. So the, these two key things you need to know. We said at first that he's God's son, but secondly, he's our Savior. As a man, again, he understands our needs. But as God, he's able to meet those needs powerfully. Jesus was given this name that had meaning. His name was his mission. Jesus means Savior. God saves. Peter declared in Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else. No one else. For there's no other name given by which we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. And those who call themselves Christian are profoundly confused when they think that God likes all religions. That, that all roads lead to God. And there's a lot of Christians who think that. But Jesus is the one who said this in John 14. I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the Christ. Now, again, that's, that's not his name, actually. That's not his last name at all. That's his title. It's the Greek form of the Hebrew word Messiah. What's a Messiah? It's a word that means the anointed one. Back in the Old Testament, when you would be set apart to serve God in a special role of leadership, they would anoint you. They would pour this olive oil on your head to set you apart for that spiritual leadership. That's what Jesus is. He is the anointed one, the divinely promised Messiah who came to fulfill the three key roles in the Old Testament religion. Prophet, priest, and king. He serves perfectly in all of those things offices eternally as prophet he, he perfectly reveals and teaches the mind and heart of God in the highest possible way he re, he's a revealer as priest he is the intercessor between God and humans he becomes both the one who is the sacrificer and he is the sacrifice and as king he rules with authority and power over all of his subjects in fact he was born through the royal lineage of King David, but he holds the throne over God's people forever and everywhere. Now, what did Jesus do to become that, that Christ, that Savior? 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, your faith is built on this wonderful message. And it is this good news that saves you, if you firmly believe it, unless, of course, you believe something else that was never true in the first place. And that describes those polls, I'm telling you. People believing other things that were never true in the first place. So he's making it clear. I passed on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. Here it is, that Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, as the Scripture said. Folks, that is the gospel that is the good news. And to understand and appreciate the good news, you've got to know the bad news. That God has every right to banish us from his presence forever because of our sin, our disobedience. And while his holiness requires him to punish sinners, 
His grace causes him to do whatever it takes, whatever the cost, to save sinners. And that's why Jesus died for our sins. That's why the cross is at the heart of God's saving plan for us. Why did Jesus have to die? Because there was no other way. Because we're the ones that deserve to die. We deserve that kind of punishment, that physical and spiritual death for our sins. But Jesus chose to take our place, to pay the penalty for our sins. Another big theological phrase here is he became the substitutionary atonement. He was our substitute who as the innocent one, the perfect sinless one, died in the place of the guilty ones, you and me. That's the atonement. And as the Redeemer... He bought us back. He paid the price to rescue us, free us from that debt of eternal punishment. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's how he's our mediator. He's our go-between that stands between us and God to bring us together in perfect harmony because he's the one that gets rid of the sin that separated us. As fully God, he represents God to us. As fully man, he represents us to God. There is only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. And only he could take the place of all sinners. Why? Why him? Because only he had an infinite life. Think of that. If he's God in the flesh, then his one life is worth all finite lives put together. I mean, he could pay for the sins of all people of all time because when he suffers on that cross, it's not just the physical pain, it's the infinite anguish in his soul. As he's paying the price, the equivalent of eternal torment in hell on that cross, And when he did that for us, he brought us back to God. And it's confirmed because he rose from the dead. And that's what sets Christianity apart from all other religions. Because all the other world's religious founders and prophets are dead. Jesus is alive. Nobody else can make that claim. I mean, it demonstrates that he was who he claimed to be. It demonstrates that God accepted his sacrifice. It devastates his enemies. It destroys the devil's work. And it guarantees that we're going to rise from the dead too. Paul writes, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. So look, Christianity stands or falls on this historical fact of the resurrection. All the other world's religions don't stand on one historical fact, but on principles and philosophies and laws. Not Christianity. And there's good reason to believe it. You dig into the resources that that give the evidence, the empty tomb, the eyewitness testimonies. We can't do that right now. We don't have the time. But there are plenty of resources you can check. But let me say, the evidence can only take you so far. Because at some point, you have to choose to trust. Right? I mean, the mind can only take you so far. At some point, it becomes a matter of the will and of the heart because I would say you know what it makes more sense to believe than not to I can't prove it hundred percent but it makes more sense to believe than not to but I'll tell you also this it's harder to believe than not to because of that will I don't want to believe I want to do what I want to do it's harder 
to believe than not to. Our faith is Jesus. Not religious principles and philosophies and law. This is the gospel. The good news that Jesus died for you and rose from the dead. And now he's asking you the same question. Who do you say that I am? We believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, my Savior and my Lord. And if you've never made that confession of faith yet, we want to invite you to do that today. Would you do it right, right in this moment? Would you trust him to forgive you? Would you turn to him in repentance and be baptized into Christ so that you can receive those promises of eternal life? and be filled with his Holy Spirit. Let's pray about that now. Lord, we, we don't just want to know about you. We want to know you personally. And so right now, Father, if there are any who need to make this prayer, I pray they'll do it in their heart and say, Lord, I ask you to forgive me for the wrongs that I've done. I want to learn from you how to live. And I choose today to begin to live by your direction and your guidance. And, and I don't even know all what that means but I'm trusting you to show me the way for those of us Lord who already have that faith help our faith to be solid and help us to share that faith because we pray it in Jesus name amen and so if you're ready to do that would you let us help you get ready to be baptized into Christ today maybe you've been a believer but you've never made it your own personal choice to be immersed into Christ, to be lowered into water, to be buried with Christ, to leave your past and your sins behind and rise up with him to a new life. Yeah, we've got everything you need. If you, if you need clothes, we've got clothes you can change into. We've got a brand new t-shirt we'll give you that says the best decision ever. We've got a warm tub of water. We've got hair dryers. We've got everything you need there's no reason to wait another moment so right in the next few moments as you walk out into the lobby go to room C or D out there meet with somebody who can answer your questions help you take your next step who can pray with you you can do it through a text you can do it through email text that number 304 or 734 304-7248 email us next at southpointccc.com we would love to help you make the best decision ever. All right? So next week, we're going to continue on. The final message with Supernatural, talking about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So <laughs> that's going to be a good one, folks. You're going to want to be here. You're going to want to invite people back. Again, kids in two weeks return to having in-person kids ministry. Stay connected with God and with us throughout the week. Get into those groups. Check out Bible with Brett Tuesdays and Thursdays, 7 p.m. on Facebook. And on your way out, be sure to wish each other a very blessed week. And you online as well. We hope to see you in person very soon.